Through interviews from London to Los Angeles, I hope this podcast will inspire you to embrace your wild side. To keep up with my wild adventures, follow me at suzylindow.com. You can also find me on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Enjoy the show. So my name is Mark Azoulay. Um, I'm a psychoanalyst um, in Boulder, Colorado. I've been doing that for about five years or so now. Before that, I worked in the prison system. And I help primarily men that struggle with aggression um, and masculinity. So that's what I do kind of for trade. But this podcast is about the wild side. So I'm going to talk about what I do uh, for fun. Um, you want me to talk about the definition of wild? Kind of? Yes. Tell me your definition of wild. Yeah. Okay. So we'll try to uh, do it from an analytic perspective. I, I, I think wild is really interesting because it's the sense of like play and a sense of uh, like reckless abandon, right? Love that. You know, this idea of like throwing yourself into a moment and allowing the moment to really like permeate you and to be there, you know? Um, so that's something that I learned through my recovery. So something for you guys, I'm in recovery, which means I'm sober, I don't do any drugs. And I had a history of doing a ton of drugs and doing a ton of dumb shit with that. We're gonna talk about the recovery part. Um, okay. Although maybe in a future podcast we can talk about yeah. all the drug stuff. Okay, um, very cool. But yeah, when I was, you know, some people use things like drugs and alcohol to feel wild, right? When you ask people, I'm sure you may have had the experience of like, oh, what's a wild story? And then it's about like, oh, this one time I really got super drunk or I got really like really high. And then here's, you know, the crazy hijinks that ensued. Mm-hmm. Um, and the theory behind that is it's because when you take substances, they permeate you. Like, like you feel something or you feel something different than your normal self. Um, so I had to learn how to do that sober. So I'm going to kind of tell that story. Very cool. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I guess the, I, I got sober after an overdose, um, in, wow. in a college. And one of the things that I learned after getting through early recovery and like getting my life together was that I couldn't get laid. I, oh, I didn't, no. <laughs> it was real bad. I know. Because it's a relaxing thing or, you know, letting yourself go and meet people, I guess is harder sometimes for people. hundred percent. I mean, I was, yeah. I'm like, Historically, I've done a lot of work, but for most of my life, I was a very, very shy person. So, like, you know, I, when I was a kid, I like I couldn't even like buy something from a store, right? Like, oh, I couldn't wow. even do like a scripted interaction, and I was very shut down. I was very just like kind of sunken in. Um, you know, there's there's reasons for that, but you know, that being said, I didn't know how to talk to anybody, right? Let alone women, which is like at the time when I was like 18, 18 years old, that's like you know the hardest thing in the world is like talk to a girl. Um, so. I had kind of solved that problem by drugs and alcohol because I, my, my mating strategy was like, get like as effed up as possible, go where women are and then like roll the dice. And like, you know, sometimes I come home with somebody, sometimes I wouldn't, you know, I was usually like either blacked out or kind of in a haze anyway. So I didn't really know what I was going to get. Oh my God. Yeah. I know. Oh <laughs> I mean, no, that was, That's was, terrible. You know that. No. It is it's super bad. Yeah, I know. It's super bad. Um, I think it's, it's also really common. Uh, okay. For college, for college age people, um, so yeah, I just come up with everybody. So sometimes they turn to girlfriends. Sometimes it'd be one night stands. Like who knows, right? Uh-huh. So that was the old mating strategy, right? And when I got sober, that mating strategy was no longer viable. Um, so I would be, you know, at bars or at concerts or at shows or you know, in the world, and I would try to talk to women, uh-huh. and it would be like I'm a teenager again. Like my voice would be cracking. I wouldn't know what to say. It'd be like, hi. Oh no. And this is because you're sober now and you're, you've renounced that 
life, right? Right. Yeah. Because yeah, I'm sober now, yeah. and all this, all the old social anxiety problems are just back, right? Oh, like I never wow. actually dealt with them. I just like got drunk instead, right? Yeah. So all my old confidence problems, my insecurities, like everything was just back. It's like I was 14 again. Oh no. Right. So I'm like, you know, like your shirt is nice. Like <laughs> oh, no. you like toast. You know, like didn't like no idea like what oh, to say. God. You know. Um, uh-huh. Like the, the smallest amount of rejection, like, you know, if the person would break eye contact with me, right? Or like, you know, change the topic, I would just like, my poor little heart would just be shattered. Oh, no. <laughs> she hates me. Oh, no. And like, here's that squeaky voice again. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Squeaky <laughs> voice. Like, I mean, that, that's like my childhood voice, you know, like, oh, would just no. keep, just keep coming back. And I, I wasn't able to like make anything happen for like years. Oh, no. um, and I, you know, ended up kind of like, you know, withdrawing a little bit, not really going out. Like kind of, you know, when I, when I would go out hanging out only with my friends, mm-hmm. um, which kind of sucks for recovery, right? Because, you know, something that I tell the clients I work with now and something that I kind of keep in my own mind is like, you know, I didn't get sober to hate my life. Right. Right. Like I already hated my life and at least I was high. So like there was a benefit there. Right. <laughs> I, if I'm going to be... Escape. The escape, right? Like if I'm sober, I'm committing to enjoying my life, right? And bringing things like wildness, bringing things like play um, into my life, bringing things like enjoyment, you know, nurturance, uh, cultivation into my life. Because um, yeah, if I'm going to give up numbing, I'm, I got to make the life worth living. Um, so I started doing dating coaching. Dating coaching. Dating coaching um, in LA, which is actually where, where oh I met gosh. like a lot of my friends. Yeah, it's because I was a therapist here. Right. So like, I didn't want to do dating coaching here because it's a, you know, Boulder's a small town and there's like, um, I didn't want to run into people that would be my clients in the future or run into people that were like, you know, uh, colleagues or whatever, or people I knew from school. So I'd fly to LA. I actually still do this. Um, I, I don't do the coaching anymore, but I still fly to LA and hang out with my friends. Uh, I'd fly like three or four times a year and I would take these workshops about how to date people. Uh-huh. And this was some of the craziest days of my life because it's all in field. So like, it's not like you're sitting in a seminar and they're talking to you. It's like you go to a club with a group of like 12 dudes and there's like a coach and they like throw you at women and they're like, go talk to her. And then they like watch you. Right. (gasps) And they like critique you. Oh my gosh. In a bar, in a bar or like in a club or Or anywhere, like anywhere social, right? Like since you go to like farmer's markets or you go to like festivals, like I mean, whatever, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like like, like wherever, wherever there are women, where there's like a large concentration of women and there's like a crowd. Um, Because you can just be across, you can kind of like, it's not so obvious that it's like, you know, 15 dudes in a circle, right? Um, So we would do that and we would just practice like over and over and over again. Um, And there was like a bunch of really fun activities really scary activities that, you know, helped to kind of generate, um, conversation, you know, cause a lot of, a lot of mistakes that them make, maybe you've experienced this in, in your dating life where it's like a dude will go up to a, to a woman and they'll say like, you know, Hey, what brings you here? Yeah. Or like, what, what are you all about? What's your job? Like, what do you do? And then it's like, do the like battery of questions. Uh-huh. And that sucks. That's like not attractive because, right. you know, especially in a place like LA where a dating scene is like very, very alive. These women are getting approached all the time, right? right? And if you're getting approached by some random dude that then makes them do the conversation, mm-hmm. it's like, why are you talking to me? Yeah. You know? So we had to learn essentially improv skills oh. <laughs> because the, the solution to that is like, can you go to a woman and just start talking, uh-huh. right? Just start talking for like a minute, two minutes. And the idea is learning a way to, you know, build familiarity, learning a way to like, you know, tell her about yourself, um, but not really counting on her to do anything. 
uh-huh. right? Like letting her kind of experience you and know who you are so that then she can choose if she wants to, you know, engage or not engage. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so one of the fun activities that we used to do, I still do this with my friends. It's, it's fun. And I do with my coaching clients actually is I have people talk to the back of my head. Right. Oh, it's easier without the eye contact. Yeah. So, so, so level one is like talk to the back of the head, right? And you can do it for one minute, then three minutes, then five minutes. And it's like, can you just spin a story? Right. Can you mm-hmm. like out of nothing, just like generate conversation. Wow. Right. Level two is with eye contact, but no expression. So that makes it harder because our faces are kind of attuning to see mm-hmm. like, okay, like, is this working? Exactly. <laughs> right? Yeah. If I was deadpan right now, you'd probably be dying inside somewhere, right? Yeah. yeah. Luckily, luckily I have this training. So, <laughs> exactly. so, so I'll be able to power through. But yeah, yeah. like, like it, it creates a sense of rejection when someone's not like responding to you. Uh-huh. Right. Which is like, you know, for better or for worse, that's what happens a lot, you know, in the field, as they say, mm-hmm. because oftentimes if you're talking to someone at a bar, they're kind of like surprised that you're there. Uh-huh. So it kind of takes them like at least half, you know, 30 seconds, you know, a minute to actually like lock into you. Mm-hmm. right? Like you'll be talking and they'll kind of be like, you know, either talking to a friend or they'll be, you know, kind of looking around or like with their drink. And then it takes a while to, you know, kind of hook them or get like an actual conversation going. Mm-hmm. So you have to be okay with like the deadpan, right? Right. Um, so you can do that for one, three and five minutes. And then oh the, the, the final one is you do it and the person acts blase and dismissive. So the person oh, okay. actively like cuts you down. Yeah. Right. They'll say like, things like, it, dude. Yeah. Yeah. Like, oh, that's not, that's not interesting. Or like, well, why would you care about that? Yeah. Or like, I don't really, I don't know. That's not really my style, you know? Mm-hmm. And then you have to learn how to like adapt and change and move, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so that was just one of many exercises that we did, but. Oh my gosh. In LA yeah. of all places. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's a, it's a huge city. It's just, yeah. I mean, yeah. It makes sense though, because there's so many people you can just feel like it doesn't matter. I'll never see them again, you know, mm-hmm. which is kind of a part of that release and being yourself sort of thing. Totally. Right. And that was especially true for me because I'm from Colorado. So it's like, yeah. I'm definitely never going to see these people again. Right. You know, and LA, I mean, there's so many, not only there's so many different districts, there's so many different places to go within the districts. Uh-huh. So like, you know, and some of these scenarios did happen. Worst case scenario, like I get a drink thrown in my face. Right. Or like, you know, some boyfriend wants to like beat me up. I can just leave and go somewhere else. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> and just like start over. So were there any of those experiences when you were out that are more memorable, you know, when you had to do it for the first time? Oh, or? I mean, so many. I mean, like, like in the beginning, it's literally nothing but rejection. Oh, my right. God. It's just like rejection after rejection after rejection, um, which I think is good. I mean, it was hard, but luckily, like you know, I'm with like my other bros and I'm with like the coach. Uh-huh. So there's kind of like, you know, a safety in there. You uh-huh. can go back and laugh it off or you can be like, Oh, can you believe this guy? Blah, blah, blah. You know, uh-huh. um, there's like some kind of insulation to the rejection. If sure. doing it alone is, I don't know how someone would do that. Cause there were definitely like many times where I was just like crushed and luckily like my other teammates were like, dude, it's okay. Like, you know, it's fine. Um, you go talk to somebody else. So a lot of those, I mean, one of the other activities, um, which is, it is super funny. It's try to get rejected as, rejected as fast as possible. And get it over with. Yeah. So you can move on. Is and, that the idea? Yeah, yeah. So, so the idea, <laughs> it is like just get used get to it. Through the, oh, oh, okay. Yeah. Build up your callus. Build, yeah, exactly. Like, like build up your callus and build, build up like the idea to like not take yourself seriously. Right? And what's funny about this, this kind of activity is that if you fail, <clears throat> right? If you fail the activity, you get accepted. 
Oh, how funny. <laughs> so, right? so yeah, like, exactly. So that's, yeah, I could see that. Yeah. Failure actually like works, you know, failure is mm-hmm. fine. You know, um, so we, so you, we go out there and we talk to women and try to say like the most ridiculous things possible, right? Or just be like super awkward or just create like a ton of awkward silence. And the idea was to kind of like desensitize ourselves to the, you know, the worst case scenario, which mm-hmm. is honestly, I mean, it's, you know, people aren't really that violent or anything. So the worst case scenario is the person just walks away, right? right? Like it's very rare to get like hit or to get like, you know, thrown out or to get like publicly shamed. Usually people are just like, whatever dude and it's like what? yeah <laughs> oh my away. gosh um so yeah i mean a lot of a lot of experiences of, of of rejection and you know another another principle of this thing which i think you know comes back to this idea of being wild is self-amusement mm-hmm. right so i think this is something i carry into all aspects of my life right not so much in therapy i can't get away with it too much although i do do a little bit of this um which is the idea of in any conversation in any interaction you need to be having fun like it needs to be enjoyable for you. And I found that, you know, if it's enjoyable for me, my fun and my enjoyment will actually like transmit to the other person. Like it's actually contagious, right? Like if there's someone else having fun, the other person's like, oh, cool. Like I want to have fun too. Like let's just like get on this bandwagon and like, you know, play together. Yeah. It's a enthusiasm is contagious thing. Yeah. Totally. Right. Mm-hmm. And like play is contagious and people just want to like let go and be wild a little bit. Right. And not take it so seriously. Mm-hmm. You know, um, there's so many conversations where like both people are really keeping their cards like close to their chest. Right. Mm-hmm. Like they're not really sharing anything. Like they're not really like emoting. They're not really like, you know, they're not, they're not opening up. It's too hard to connect then. Yeah. It's almost impossible to connect. Right. Because like the, the, like the wavelength is just like, it's like a flat line, you know, of like, no one's taking that risk to like jump, mm-hmm. right? So the conversation stays just like kind of very surface or just like very dead, you know? Um, and it just becomes a conversation about tension and fear. Oh no. <laughs> right? And like not, not about yeah. fun, right? Right. Um, or very one-sided. Yeah. Yeah, or very, very one-sided where the person is like overwhelmed or like, I'm just going to sit here and just like nod until this person like goes away. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> Do you use um, body language I mean, do you watch for body language then and, and all of that? Or do you teach that as a, as a skill? Because that's really telling, I find. Yeah, body language is huge. Uh-huh. Um, most of it, and this is, this is going to be male-centered because that's what I, what I learned. There are, there are also female versions of these workshops. I just you know, didn't take them. But for male body language, a lot of it is actually around posture is kind of what, what we uh-huh. learned. And around um, like solidity and stability. So for instance, like if I'm, you know, a dude trying to look calm and I'm like twiddling my hands, right. Or like, I'm like pulling on my ear or I'm like biting my nails that communicates something to the people I'm trying to date. Right. Mm-hmm. It communicates that like, I'm not comfortable being there. That like, I'm not comfortable with my own skin. Maybe I'm a little insecure mm-hmm. and people pick that up, right. They pick up kind of those like ticks and those habits. Right. Right. Similarly, like if guys tend to be, it doesn't matter like what size the guy is, right? Like if he's taller, smaller, whatever, fat or skinny, but like if they are kind of like sunken in and kind of like hiding, which you can see a lot of guys actually do this, especially in, um, sort of situations because they're overwhelmed, mm-hmm. right? Millennials, we don't know how to like talk to people, right? <laughs> Communicate through your phone. Yeah, exactly. Like we can text all day, like, you know, emoji, like a boss, but like talking, no way. Um, so yeah, if, if someone's like sunk in or they're like, they, they, I mean, they literally look afraid, mm-hmm. right? Cross their arms. Yeah. Yeah. Cross stand the, back or. Yeah. You know, but yeah, I mean, you can stand back and be cool. 
Oh. Like you can do like that's a, a guy thing. thing. Yeah, you can like smoke cigarettes oh, and be like fucking that. dope and shit. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, but it, but if it's like if you're like hiding, mm-hmm. right? Or like you know if a com- you know you'll see it a lot um, in social situations where a conversation ring will form. Mm-hmm. And it's really interesting, you know, as a, as an analyst, I, I like to look at kind of these primal animal instincts and things like, you know, domination and, um, like, um, ladders of, of, uh, like prestige status. Mm-hmm. You'll see when a conversation ring forms, like immediately, it's almost nonverbal. It is nonverbal where there will be people like in the ring that take up a lot of space. There'll be people that are kind of like off the side of them that are just like, kind of like the, the, the cheerleaders or like the buddies. And inevitably there are people that are actually outside of the ring. They like don't quite have a space in it. Do, wow. Do you know yeah, what I'm I do know what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. So like it's figuring out. I mean, you want to be ideally, you want to be someone that's generating content, right? That's speaking mm-hmm. in the ring. Secondarily, you want to be someone that's in the ring. If you're outside the ring, it actually kind of hurts you to stay there. It's better to go and form your own ring at uh-huh. that point. Because right. it kind of communicates, like, again... You're, you're out of the loop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> literally. <laughs> literally, right? You're out of the circle, literally, right? Yeah. Or, like, you're, like, a low-status person, right? Mm-hmm. Or you're someone that's, like, not that important. Mm-hmm. And, like, of course, nice things are true, right? Because everyone has value and everybody is worthwhile. But we still have this, like, animal sense of community, right? This animal way of looking at the world where we get these unconscious messages all the time mm-hmm. about where people stand. Right. You know, like, like another one that's really simple is literally volume of voice, like how loud you are. Oh no, I have a really loud voice. So what does that say about me? <laughs> no, it's good. That's, is it? Yeah. Oh, good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that, that's actually a good thing okay. because that, that communicates status, right? It communicates confidence. It communicates like the ability to like take up space, right? It mm-hmm. communicates. It's like essentially like your right to be there, right? Your right to be in the conversation, in the room whatever. I think that has more to do in my case in the size of my lungs and mm-hmm. <laughs> the way that I project my voice. I have a low voice for a woman in general. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think that that also it has always carried since I was a little kid. So in my case, I don't know that it had so much to do with it socially as it does with it physically just being sort of a resonating you know, voice. So yeah. I used to get tr- in trouble at sleepovers. Let's just put it that way. Yeah, but, but, but that's great. Cause, cause like, cause you got noticed. Yeah. Right. <laughs> like, right. And that's the goal in the dating scene. Yeah. I mean, uh, it sounds like you're like genetically, uh, you, you have a genetic advantage to this type of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, although it's the other, the opposite can be true in the fact that, you know, if my mouth is open, I say something really stupid, everybody's going to hear it, mm-hmm. which isn't always good either. That's true. It does, yeah. They'll bring yeah. in like a lot of attention. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So that's kind of like the thing. It's like, it's like, it's about projecting confidence. Is mm-hmm. that kind of, I think was, was your question. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really interesting because, you know, even though a lot of this stuff for me had to be learned. Right. It allowed me to be wild. It allowed me to actually like be in the, the, the environment. Right. So one thing I really liked about this dating coaching, um, is that you have to be sober during it. So for me in early recovery, it was kind of cool. Cause I, I mean, I was like a party kid before. Right. So it's cool to like still go to parties, but like have a sober group of people. Right. Like we were there doing this dating thing, but it was like at the very least a dozen other people that are sober with me. So that was super helpful. Um, and one thing that the, that the technique says that the coaches say a lot is allow the environment to hype you up. Oh, nice. Which is like this idea of being a saying of of being wild of like being open and letting the environment permeate you. Mm -hmm. Right. And it's like, so it's just like being in a club, right? Mm -hmm. Like for some people it can be very overwhelming. 
right? There's like a lot of flashing lights. There's like upbeat music. There's like, it's kind of dark, you know, like there's like a lot of people moving around. There's like a crowd, you know, like it's easy to get lost, right? If you haven't been there before, you don't know where like anything is. You don't know where the bathroom is, right? It can be really overwhelming. But with training, right? And with like the intention of actually letting that environment affect you, it can actually make things fun, right? Um, you know, I, over the course of, you know, a couple years of doing this, I started to feel really at home in the club environment and really at home in the crowd environment. Um, and I've always kind of liked crowds, even though I've been shy, but to this day, I still really love crowds because it's just, if you can let, if I can let like the energy of people, it's a little, getting a little hippie here, but if I let the energy of people like charge me up, mm-hmm. it, I can be really wild because sure. in a crowd you can do anything. Yeah. You know, you're like almost anonymous. You know, I can run through a crowd and just like high five a bunch of people, you know, or I can like scream or I can like jump, you know, I can dance, you know, um, I can like start conversations with anybody around me. Like there's this, for me, there's this real sense of freedom in crowds. Um, I think a lot of it's kind of what you said before is like, if it goes wrong, I can just leave and go to another part of the crowd. Right. You know, it's like, it's intimate and anonymous, uh, mm-hmm. at the same time. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. I like that idea. I know I, um, I don't, I don't drink personally. And so, um, but I, I was never a real big drinker to begin with, but it's funny how, um, when I went through a health issue, uh, breast cancer and found out this whole relationship with alcohol, I just stopped. Mm-hmm. But, you know, people would ask me, well, how could, you know, aren't you going to drink a glass of wine or whatever? You know? And I, I thought, you know, I never really needed it to loosen me up to begin with, you yeah. know, to go to parties uh-huh. and go to bars and stuff. And so I guess I'm just one of those lucky people that can just jump into that and kind of feel the music and let go. For me, it's letting mm-hmm. go totally. of, of all those kind of insecurities and things and just, um, you know, seeing what's happening. So anyway, so that sounds like a, a pretty wild step in your life that you, that you took and getting into all of this. So did it lead up to anything? Did you graduate from, from, from the school of, you know, getting out and meeting people and yeah, totally. I mean, I'm way more confident now, mm-hmm. you know, um, I mean, I don't, I don't do the workshops anymore. I still go to LA and hang out with some of the people there that I met, you know, and they come out here and we've kind of created like a friend network. Um, so I met some really good friends through that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm a lot, like I said, it's also bled into other ways in my life. So, you know, as part of my job as a, as a analyst in private practice is I have to do a ton of networking, mm-hmm. right? So like, when I'm meeting with people, I'm kind of using a lot of the same strategies, right? Now they're not, they're not so much strategies that they're just kind of part of who I am, right? I've done them enough that it just kind of become who I am, how I communicate with people. Um, so I do that, you know, in the leadership roles that I have in companies, I do that. When I do public speaking, I use some of those strategies, you know, um, I do, you know, my marketing coaching people use some of those strategies. So it's really like permeated, it's trickled all the way down. And I got to say, like, even though there was a lot of awkwardness and pain, it definitely changed me for the better. Like it definitely gave me a set of tools that I just straight up didn't have for most of my life. Well, I, I do have to interject this. Um, I, I've met you a few times now and I, ha- I have a very, very hard time believing that you were a shy kid. I know. Like I really do. I mean, you, I you have a podcast, you do all these 
you know, guest speaker things. And, and I'm, I'm like blown away by hearing about your past because you, you, you've got this really great positive energy that, that, um, just ripples off you, you know, and, and I, you know, and I described you to my husband before I came over here, I said, oh yeah, he's like this super outgoing, optimistic, happy guy, you know, and here you're talking about how introverted you were, how difficult oh, yeah. this was, and, um, but I think we can all relate to, you know, no matter how extroverted you are, you know, nobody is confident all the time, and so I think those are good tips for anybody, mm-hmm. you know, going into a situation and feeling socially awkward, you know, because we all go through that, where mm-hmm. we're, you know, thinking we're in a circle and all of a sudden we're, you know, looking at the backs of everyone's head or we're talking and we get interrupted constantly and you're just like, okay, I get it, you know, so it's, um, you know, definitely relatable. Yeah. Um, Thank you. Yeah. I mean, I guess it means it worked. Yes, <laughs> I'm like, about radiating positivity. I mean, I try, I try to do that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I guess what I would say to the to you and the listeners too, you know, it's like an overarching theme, but I want to, you know, I have a soapbox, so I'll talk about it. Is the idea of being willing to learn, mm-hmm. right? The idea of like really being honest and looking at things that you want to change about yourself, and then getting help to do that, mm-hmm. right? Like, there's this idea kind of what you alluded to of introvert extrovert right and the way that it's portrayed in, in media you know not in psychology actually but in media of that like you're either one or the other and then you're like you're stuck there forever mm-hmm. right and like good luck if you're an introvert because the world you know rewards extroverts <laughs> right so it's like okay shit like half, half the population is just like already a step down that's not really true. I mean, that's- no, I think most people are ambiverts. Don't you think we slide up and down the scale depending on the situation? Yeah. Cause there are times where I won't make a sound, you know, other times you can't shut me up. So, you know, my scale is probably more tipped towards the, please shut her up mm-hmm. part of the scale. <laughs> yeah, talk a little bit less. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, but do you agree about the ambivert thing? I would agree on that because I think introvert extrovert is not real. No. Like, like I, I think it's like this false dichotomy that's created mm-hmm. so that people can, you know, create some kind of argument or have some kind of identity marker. Like, or excuse for staying in their shawl. Exactly. I'm this way, so I don't have to go out of my house. Exactly, right? And, and I see that. interact. I see that with a ton of things. I mean, introvert extrovert is an easy one, but with a lot of mental health issues, a lot of addictions issues, like the more solid the media and, and kind of the zeitgeist makes things out to be, mm-hmm. the less they make a chance of recovery, right? Because now that person's like in a box, right? And they also have a socially justified reason to stay in the box. And if once you're labeled and you reinforce that label, then it's hard to change your label. Totally. And if you get social benefit from being a label, you can be like, oh, I'm an introvert. And then like you get some dopamine release of like, oh yeah, people are like, oh yeah, I know what that is. Like you're yeah. one of those. Yeah. Right? Like you, people, the personality can glom onto things like that really, uh-huh. really easily. That's true. And then get stuck in like this misery. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, so I guess what I would say is like, if you want to do something, you can, you can always improve. Right? Like, that's something that I wish was told more. Uh, We need to hear that, like, almost every day. Mm -hmm. Of, like, there are so many resources out there. Right? You know, there are so many ways to get better. I mean, we we live in, like, the land of abundance and plenty. I mean, like, this country, this world, this year is... There's so much stuff out there that is just, like, waiting to be consumed. Right? Like, the opportunities of, of, like, this generation are, like, you know exponentially more than the ones before it. It's like insane. Like like the technology and the internet in general have just like blown up the amount of knowledge that we can access. So like there's little to no excuse now 
around self-development and self-improvement, right? Like there is sure. a, there is a path for everybody and it might not be the same path as me. It might not be the same path as you, but like there is a way that you can create the life that you want, you know, and that people can actually make meaningful change in their lives for any, you know, amount of time, any amount of income level, any amount of like availability, any amount of access. Like there really is an answer for almost every problem now, which is like wild to think about because that, that wasn't true for most of human history. No. Right. Like you kind of get dealt your lot and you just kind of stay there for the rest of your life and kind of die. Um, but now we can really like mold ourselves and, and shape ourselves and, and, and kind of refine ourselves into the person that we want to be and the person we deserve to be. Right. And I think that it even it can even um, I can see a big change even in the last few years with um, it being not only acceptable to be doing these things, mm-hmm. but actually um, people are searching for it. It's, it's become a thing where self-care is mm-hmm. what everybody should be doing. You see it everywhere. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it's promoted and uh, people have really responded to that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's really different um, coming from your line of work. Uh, when I was growing up, that was just, you know, nobody talked about right. going to an analyst or anything like that. And um, now it just seems like if you're not doing that, uh, that if you've gone through some kind of trauma or you need some kind of help, then it, it seems like a kind of a silly way to, to continue uh, your life miserable, mm-hmm. you know, and, uh, and not seek that help that you might need. So mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah, I think it's I think it's great. Um, do you talk about about being wild? Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> cool. Um, yeah, I guess I guess what I would say on that, I guess maybe the last thought is, I think you know this isn't a pitch. I guess it's just something that just might feel to work. I think working with a therapist or an analyst or a coach or doing a self help book or joining like a group, what it does is it, it removes what's called resistance, which is the ways that we don't do what we want, right? So if we're like, you know, I'm going to work out every week and then like, you don't do that, that the reason why you don't do that yeah, is what is that? The, <laughs> resistance. Yeah. I, know. <laughs> I guess a whole other topic. I mean, I can yeah. talk about it a little bit, which is essentially it's like from the analytic pr- perspective, we, we go super deep and weird with it. There are usually like very old childhood reasons why, you know, so one that's really common for um, a lot of men out there is that we don't want to surpass our fathers. There's this kind of like imprint oh of like not getting more, you know, more wealth, more attractiveness, more power than our father. And huh. some fathers like hold this kind of like weird competition or jealousy with their sons wow. where like they always want to beat their son at basketball kind of thing. Right. Or they always want to be like a little, they always want to be the teacher. Right. They always want to be like the dad. Mm-hmm. And that can get like injected into kids. And kind of unconscious, like we don't even know that we're doing it. And you can see with some of the men that I work with is once they start to get to like, 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 like they can get as successful or as happy as their dad was. But when they start to push even like a little bit further, they self-sabotage all day long. Like they start cutting I themselves down. I've never heard this before. That's so interesting. Does that happen with women too and moms? I would imagine. That yeah. So, so, so with women and moms, and again, like, you know, we're in a post-binary world now, but a lot of analytic tests are written with the binary with men and women kind of being two separate categories. Um, so I will talk about it from that perspective with women. A lot of it more is about leaving the home. Mm-hmm. So what they say, it's more about like, it's like to succeed as a woman outside of the home is almost a betrayal, right? To like leave the family and to like disconnect from the family can feel like a deep betrayal. It can feel like leaving the tribe or like abandoning the mother or abandoning the family. 
Um, so it's a little bit different, but it can look like a very similar thing. Um, and that can be, you know, problematic for if there's somebody, if there's a young woman who's from a family that drinks a lot, for instance, mm-hmm. right? For her getting sober might actually feel like a betrayal to the family culture and to the family norms. You might feel like an outcast, right? Mm-hmm. For, for kind of subverting the family, even though it's like a healthy decision, right? right? It might feel, it might be very, very hard for her to do that because she might feel uh, fear rejection or fear abandonment after mm-hmm. that. So you can work with a with therapist or analyst in particular to get over resistance. Mm-hmm. So then you can do self-help and self-care, right? So what I tell some of my clients and people that I work with and is- And get a, in the gym. Get in the gym, right, <laughs> get, get power hot. Um, what I tell some of my clients is that, you know, I had to be in therapy for honestly about six, seven, maybe even eight years before I could take advice. Because like, I have my own issues with authority. So like, when I would, even when I would read a self-help book, and they're like, hey, you should like go to the gym and get massages. I'd be like, yeah, fuck you, dad. Like, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> right? Like my, my like inner voice like wouldn't, yeah. couldn't, couldn't metabolize it. Huh. Straight up couldn't metabolize yeah. it. Right? But until I worked with my resistance, now I love those kinds of books. Yeah. Right? Now I can read something and be like, oh, yeah, yeah I'll try that. Mm-hmm. And it's more seamless. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of people have these, these kind of unconscious resistances that get in the way um, of, you know, having fun, of being successful, of allowing themselves to be wild, allowing themselves to let, to let go. Right. Um, and it's different for everybody. Um, but working with someone can really help you to kind of understand what those are and, and work through them because yeah. they're not appropriate anymore. Right. That, that you needed them as a child. The idea is that like you create these kind of patterns to survive as a child, mm-hmm. but as an adult, they're just not appropriate to what your goals are or what you need. Right. So you have to come, you have to like deprogram them in a way. I just saw something um, that I'd heard in this last year is like when we're kids, we're our, our parents and everybody around us is telling everything is uh, telling us to be careful and to not take risk and to you know it's this whole thing this big huge fear of failure is just kind of um, comes at us from all different angles you know you got to get good grades get into college you need mm-hmm. you know you have to walk this straight narrow path and and don't you know, fall off it because then you'll fail. And I'm thinking that as an adult, it's all about risk. Yeah. It's all about, you have to, I mean, exactly. you have to do just the opposite. You have to like take chances. You have to stand out. There's a million people doing the same things we're doing. So how are you going to be different, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, um, be successful. And so it's kind of like all that training that we get when we're younger is sort of counterproductive, don't you think? Absolutely. I mean, that's a huge problem with my generation, with the mental generation, mm-hmm. is that we were incredibly coddled, right? Because we were told, like, don't take a risk, don't fail. Mm-hmm. We're also told that we're super special and we're like the chosen one. Oh, yeah. All those soccer trophies and, you know. Yeah, trophies for everyone <laughs> or like, you know, everything is amazing. Yeah. Right? Like, like we were insulated from failure even at things that we were like not that good at, right? Like if you do like, if you're learning, learning the guitar and you do like a shitty scale, mm-hmm. right? Like what a responsible parent would say, be like, oh, you know, great job and there's more to go. Like if you practice harder, you'll get better at this, mm-hmm. right? Instead of lying to the kid and being like, oh, my God. Jimmy, that was incredible, right? right? Like, like <laughs> kids and then humans, we need accurate feedback. We need to know actually where we stand so that we can then tune ourselves appropriately, right? Mm-hmm. To improve and to, and to get better. Um, so, you know, you, that, and then we have, like you said, insulating a lot from failure. Um, it reminds me, there's this book that I, I like a lot uh, by Jordan Peterson that is the 12 rules for life. And one of his rules is um, let kids skateboard. Oh, Right, yeah. and, let him get hurt. Let him get hurt, <laughs> yeah. right? And, and he talks about how he's from Canada. He talks about in Toronto, 
they've taken like a lot of these public parks and they installed these like giant spikes on all the rails and like on the tops of spikes and on the tops of like benches. And the idea was because kids would like jump on the on the bench or the rail with their skateboard and they try to grind it. Oh, 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 to keep them from doing it. To keep them from doing it. Gotcha. And they'd put like these like also these like little spikes, these little pricks, like, you know, to get birds not to sit on things, or to get kids not to like lean on things. And he was like, What was a beautiful city park is now like a spiky gothic like danger zone. <laughs> yeah, right. right. Like it ruined the aesthetic, right? Yeah. And the kids are going to find another place to skateboard and you're telling the kids that they can't be in this zone. Yeah, you can't have spikes on a handrail, right? No. Yeah, <laughs> right? So. Yeah, I mean, that's what they end up doing. They put spikes, you can't even use the handrail because now right. there's like spikes on it, right? Yeah. Um, but it's this idea of like, the reason is they didn't want these kids to get hurt skateboarding. Uh-huh. It's like for your own good kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Right, which I think is what you're talking about. It's like, oh, we yeah. make a decision for your own good. Right. But like, we need to learn how to fail, and we need to learn mm-hmm. how to like have fun and let go, and we need to learn how to like, you know, get better at stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're gonna try to grind a handrail, you're gonna have to grind it like hundreds of times before you actually get a good grind. Mm-hmm. Right. Like you're gonna yeah. have to bust your face a couple times, and then that's how we learn. I mean, right. If you look at like animals, that's how they learn. They go, they explore, they mess up, they get better. I mean, that's the process. Yeah, and I think um, there's something to be said for getting out of your comfort zone. And it's really strange because I've been doing this a lot lately since I started writing. But Mm -hmm. you get out of your comfort zone and you do something you've never done before. You know, speaking for the first time with a microphone Mm -hmm. or whatever. Even if it's in a small room and they're just doing a recording session or whatever. And, And it's scary the first time. But then you get through it and you feel like, wow, I accomplished that. So now what's the next step? You know, if you don't start taking these little mini steps, you're stuck with all these, these, these really happy little world where you, you never really grow. Yeah. And um, so don't you think that that's something, too, with the, um, you know, getting out of your comfort? And, you know, of course, it goes back to your the bar and mm-hmm. with your bros and, you know, everybody watching as you go up and approach a, a young woman and see if you can get her to even look at you, you know, right. like <laughs> something like that. So, yeah. yeah, I mean, that's a huge part of it. Like, yeah. it's really like, yeah, you need to prove yourself to yourself. Yeah, that, I guess that's what I'm getting at. Right. Yeah. Like, like, the, like, like there's a Norse myth, um, Odin, who's like the father, mm-hmm. he's like the Zeus figure, like the father of the gods. Right. Mm-hmm. He had to sacrifice himself to himself in order to gain the power of the runes, which is the idea of getting magic, right? Gaining the ability to do things, do, do spectacular things. And he had to suffer in order to get that, right? Um, he had to sacrifice part of himself to the higher part of self. You can see this a lot in other mythologies, right? But like the gym is a really example of sacrificing yourself to yourself, where like you hurt yourself, right? Like when you lift weights, like it's fucking hard. Yeah, <laughs> and like sure. it sucks, yeah. right? But like you get better, right? You get stronger, uh-huh. you get more coordinated, you get healthier. Right, like you have to kind of get through some of that suffering in order to get benefit um, down the line. And it reminds me of, uh, with the dating coaching to kind of tie it in, is they they talk about how um, aspirations are not enough, right? So it's one thing to like look at yourself in the mirror and be like, I am beautiful, I am loved, (laughs) I am wanted, right? Uh But if you've never like talked to a woman, your brain will be like, you're lying. (laughs) right like because we learn through experience yeah right it only takes like kind of what you're saying it takes a a series of successful experiences to build that confidence Mm -hmm. to be like when you look yourself in the mirror and say like you know yeah i am lovable i am wanted because 
I've had all these experiences that have shown me that. That's your proof. That's your proof. And your brain, your brain knows that like in its cell, like in its body, right? In its mm-hmm. cells. It's like, you know that you can do that, right? Mm-hmm. Like if you're doing nature stuff, right? Like only after you've summited a couple 14ers, can you actually be like, yeah, I can actually do this. Mm-hmm. Right. And then it's like unquestionable because you've actually done it. Right. You've, you've proven to yourself that you're strong. And right. don't you think there's something um, like for me, I'm motivated to do these things that make me nervous mm-hmm. over and over again, just so that I'm not nervous because mm-hmm. I enjoy the process, but I hate the nerves. And so you figure, you know, if you have enough success at what you're doing, then all that will just eventually fall away and it'll just be your, you know, another one of your happy places. Then you're going to have to stretch and get on stage in one of those bars and grab the microphone and maybe yep. do some karaoke or something you know, like, and, and really get out of the comfort zone. So that I haven't done. Yeah. <laughs> oh yes, I did. Yes, I did. <laughs> I just remembered. Yeah. Michael Jackson. Yeah. I remember nice. that. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I, I think you're, you're spot on. I mean, it's like you, you then get the choice if you want to escalate or you want to stay where you are uh-huh. because you do you, like, like, like you get tuned to something where it becomes natural. You yeah. know, um, there's a, there's a type of yoga called forest yoga. Um, and the creator, her name, her name, her name is Anna forest. And one of her principles uh, for forest yoga is stalk your fear. Oh, which I, I like love that. that. Stalk your fear. Stalk your fear. And she talks about this process that, that she went through which is, you know, like kind of what you're saying, you have that nerve response or that fear response. And like what we're conditioned to do is like, like run away from it, Mm -hmm. right? Either through like actually running or by like numbing out with substances or changing the topic or distracting ourselves or, you know, watching TV, like whatever, right? Mm -hmm. Like we've learned so many ways to respond to that physical sensation of fear. And what she has encouraged her students to do, and I believe that she's done it. I'm, I'm not quite there yet, but I'm working on it. What she has encouraged her students to do is when you feel that feeling, move towards it. Uh-huh. And then just practice moving towards it, moving towards it, moving towards it. And eventually that becomes the response, mm-hmm. right? Because like the fear response, if you think about it, it's not like good or bad, right? Like emotions don't really have morality. It's just like a body sensation. And we've been told that like that's a bad body sensation and that we should not feel that way. Mm-hmm. But that's just humans trying to make sense of our experience, right? Like over time you can recondition yourself that like when you feel nervous – Instead of nervousness, it could become excitement. I was just going <laughs> right? to say that the anxiety is sometimes hard to read. Mm-hmm. You know, whether it's just that you're excited for something to happen, or if you're just really nervous that you're going to fail. Mm-hmm. You know, the feeling's the same. Yeah, that gut kind of butterfly thing. Yeah, it's still like arousal, right, and like yeah. stimulation. Mm-hmm. And then if it, if you call it nervousness or excitement, it's just based on your like mental frame. Mm-hmm. Right, but with enough practice, you can be like, "Oh yeah, this feeling like time to go." Right, like yeah. rev me up. Yeah. Right, you can just like get used to that. Exactly, and that becomes part of your process. Uh-huh. Right, and it can lead you to like maybe when you feel that you actually get more energy, or you mm-hmm. actually feel like you're sharpened, or, which is what anxiety does, or what you know, fight or flight does. It actually sharpens you and like you know gives you more mental faculty, gets more blood flow into your muscles. Like it actually gets you ready to fight something. I didn't know that. Yeah, it's, it's, so it's a good thing. It's a good thing. It was a fight or flight yeah. response, right? Right. And that's important. It's fight or flight. But what you don't want is the blank out moment, you know, where it gets so extreme Mm -hmm. that your brain goes, I don't know what, you know, (laughs) dot, dot, dot. And it just, yeah, it goes into freeze mode. That's not so good. Yeah. That's a little, that's a little much, but even that being (laughs) said, I mean, with this idea of lightness, it's like, I mean, something that I, I, again, tell my coaching clients, I'll say it here. It's like, you need to be failing like easily 30 to 40% of the time. 
Like you need to be having those blank out moments 34% of the time because that means that you're actually pushing your comfort zone, huh. right? If you're winning every single time, the arena you're like competing in, whether it be, you know, stage or, or business or personal, it's not like, 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 like you're the big fish in a small pond, Yeah. right? Like if everything's too easy, you're capable of more. That's funny you say that. I had a tennis coach that used to say that all the time. Mm-hmm. If you're winning, you know, if, if you're not double faulting, you're not serving hard enough. You're yeah. not trying anything new, you know, like you should do that. Yeah. So. Yeah. Cause you need to know that you're like pushing above that line. Mm-hmm. And the more you push, I mean, you'll push too hard and you'll fail. Right. But the more you push, the more you'll move that line upwards. Yeah. Right. You'll trend upwards towards improvement. Yeah. I like that. Very good. Do you have any more wild stories to tell? I think that's it. I you think, did. I mean, I mean, I have a ton of them, but I'm, I'm a little aware of time. I have someone coming in a little bit. Okay. Um, but well, yeah, that's, 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 should be good. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming and talking with us on the wild side. I'm sure everyone really enjoyed hearing all these things that I learned a lot today. So oh, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Is there anything you would like to pitch? Do you have a podcast you'd like to tell oh, yeah. us about, you know, go ahead and give us your Give us your pitch mode and um, tell us other places where people can find you. Totally. I mean, the main thing is just go to my website, which is mark-azulay.com. Can you spell that? Yeah. Uh, mark is spelled M-A-R-C dash, like the hyphen. And then Azulay is A-Z-O-U-L-A-Y.com. That's my name. Um, everything's there. So you can, you'll see my Facebook. You can see you know the podcast. You can see the organizational part of therapy practice coaching. I mean, it's all, it's all there. All the links to everything are there. Um, and yeah, I do. I guess if you want to hear more of that. I do a Facebook live broadcast um, every Tuesday morning for my Facebook page. Great. So if you like that, you'll get that delivered to kind of your notifications tab. And I talk for about 10, 15 minutes about all kinds of topics. Um, you can always submit a topic if you want me to just like to freestyle on something. I got a lot of thoughts and opinions about stuff. That's great. I know you're on Twitter too. Yes. I'm also on Twitter mm-hmm. um, at Mark Azulay. Are you on Instagram? No. Okay. No. You got to get out of your comfort zone, Mark. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. That's great. Well, thank you so much. Really appreciated this time we've had. And yeah, thank you. So thanks for sharing your wild side. Awesome. Happy to be here. Production and musical score of The Wild Side by Kelly Lindau. Visit my website at suzylindau.com. Follow me on Facebook and Instagram or tweet me about the show at suzylindau and I'll follow you back. If you enjoyed The Wild Side, be sure to tell your friends, family, or anyone who will listen. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. Thanks so much for listening.